You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. Wow, look at you. No, look at you. New Year's Day and you're in church gathered in worship. Wow, uh, that's pretty great. When God has something for us, and for those of you who are online, we have many, many in our congregation that uh, have been dealing with the bug, cold and cough, and, and that which is going on. Uh, every Sunday when Ken talks, he lists off the name of all the people who fell ill on Saturdays uh, as uh, this continues to sweep through our, our church family and, and our community. Uh, this is an amazing thing. But honestly, uh, what makes today any different than yesterday? What makes today any different than yesterday? It's just one more day. We call it our new year in that context, but what makes it new? It could be the same old, same old, which is a reality as well, but that can often always change. And I've been given permission this morning to, to ha- do nepotism. And uh, many of you have asked us since we've come back, whatever happened to those kids we used to have? Well, Shauna, our daughter, is here this morning, and Jay. Many of you know Shauna and Jay from their years in the church here. So you can corner them, and they can fill you in on all the details. And then a whole wonderful pack of grandkids sitting there married. But you always give a prize to the person who came the furthest for the service. Leah McEwen from New Zealand is here this morning. She's joining our family in February in marriage. And uh, well, we've already taken her in, so Carson, you better, you better complete that deal. It's good to have our kids with us this morning. Uh, it reminds us of uh, your influence in their lives. And now that legacy goes on into our grandkids' lives. It's a Lord's work, and it just keeps on going. And God keeps doing uh, marvelous things. Our scripture we read this morning, I'm going to talk about that from the wounds in our lives. Wounds turning into scars. And I think this text addresses this passage. And this has been a message long coming for me. I have started this message four times over the last number of years, and every time I end up putting it in the file and saying, no, well, for what are, lots of reasons. But this morning, I'm just going to obey the Lord and bring it, and we'll see what the Lord has in mind. In this text, you realize that Jesus revealed himself to his followers by the scars in his hand. He held up his hands and told them, look, touch if you want to. There's a scar on my side. Touch if you want to. I think this is the only place I can find where he directly invited followers to identify himself by his scars. He revealed himself by those scars, verse 20 and verse 27, in the text that Jeremy just read. A scar means that a wound has been healed. Keep that in mind because we're going to come back to it in a few minutes. A scar means a wound has been healed. 
a healing from Jesus in our internal life, our deepest soul, would indeed make this a new year. It would indeed make this something brand new from the Lord as we encounter him. And maybe today is the beginning of that journey. But before we do that, I have a question for you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to show anything, but how many of you have a physical scar on your body? Raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. Well, we're a beat-up bunch. (laughs) Scars happen. You just live your life, and they will happen. They will catch up to you as a kid or on the farm in an accident. They will just find you. And so we have those scars on our physical bodies. But uh, scars all have a story. There's a story behind every scar in our life. Grandfathers, like me, love scars because uh, I've got some on my hand here. And when the grandkids were little, yeah, it was great to tell the stories. And as I retold it, they got bigger and more dramatic over the years, but that didn't matter. They were fascinated with these scars on my hand. And I could just go for it. I think I ended up in a gang in New York one time, but <laughs> I was pushing it a little far on that one. But if you were to look at my uh, right hand, I have three scars right on my thumb. One of them's fairly big. One of them's fading a bit. The third one's being overcome with wrinkles, but it's still there. But I received those scars when I was a very young boy. Living on the farm, we were out playing, hot summer day. We all crowded into the pump house. Now, some of you don't know pump houses, but we all crowded into the pump house where the faucet was to get a drink of water after playing out in the hot sun. Somebody either bumped me or pushed me, and so I fell. And unfortunately, I grabbed the pulley belt which took both my hands through the pulley. And it didn't look nearly very well good. My mom told me after they came out from going through the pulley. All the only memory I have of that event is sitting on my mom's lap in a car, racing to a hospital, both my hands wrapped in towels. But I'm left with scars from that day, from that event. But their verification, their witness, they have story along the way. But scars are just that. They're just scars. They're just scars. Today in the scripture, as we jump into this passage, I want to go a little deeper with you and explore what I have found over many years of ministry and connection with people, the inner wounding that we pick up along the way that we don't allow Jesus to deal with. And that was true in my life. The inner wounding, the wounds that are deep inside our soul, they're not yet healed, and they still can be opened up. Those are the wounds that nobody can see. The wounds of the soul, the wounds of the inner being. Dr. Chuck Swindoll calls them a soul-stabbing you experienced along the way in your life, you had a soul stabbing deep in your inner person. And the source of those soul stabbings can be many. We could be deeply misunderstood by people. 
We could be uh, falsely accused. We could be lied about, and that seeps deep into our inner spirit. You could have been along the way treated unfairly, unjustly, and nobody ever made it right. To this day, nobody's ever made it right. You could be the victim of a broken trust. Somebody said they'd be there, but they weren't. Parent, a spouse, good friend, they weren't there. They weren't there. They betrayed you. Or you this morning could be the victim of abuse. Verbal abuse drives deep into our soul. Physical abuse, even sexual abuse. And in a group this size and those of you online, some of you have walked through those terrible, difficult times. Life can be disfiguring. If we're living life, it can be disfiguring. In fact, the Bible record is filled with people who had those experiences. Joseph from the Old Testament was faced rejection. King David failed morally. John Mark wiped out on his first mission with the Apostle Paul. Thomas doubted. The Apostle Paul was a violent man before he ran into Jesus. Timothy was fearful and timid in the work God had given to him. The Apostle Peter betrayed Jesus, denied him. Those are not new experiences. They are there, and they're very real. So the context, as you uh, caught this morning, as Jeremy read the passage, this is a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ after his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now before Jim Pinches runs up and tells me, Tim, Tim, it's not Easter. We only talk about this passage when it's Easter, right? Okay, hang in there. We'll get there. But this is a passage that's filled with God's truth to our hearts. And let me give you the theological context because that's just how I'm built and how I love to unpack things, but I'm not going to stay there. But let me give you the theological breakdown of this passage. Uh, Number one, it's a commission context. This passage talks about a commission It's a commission from the Lord Jesus Christ himself is given to us in this passage. Verse 21, go, take the message, take that out. I have sent you as the Father has sent me. We are a people of purpose. As long as God leaves us here, we are a people of purpose. We have a commission. It's never changed, never. And it's still valid today no matter what the condition of our world is in. We are a commissioned people. That's one of the great depths of this passage. But also it tells us that this is a faith context. In verse 24, 25, and verse 29, this passage is a faith context. Was Thomas was challenged, did you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? By faith, because God said it would be, and you experience that new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are a people of faith. We have always been a people of faith. From the beginning of time, God speaks. We hear his word, and then we obey and follow and believe. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us of that great list of those who experienced faith. And it's the same today. God speaks, 
and we step out in faith to follow him and discover him. But this is also a confession context there in verses 26 to 29. This is perhaps one of the greatest confessions recorded in New Testament. When Thomas says, Jesus, you're my Lord. You are my God. It's very personal. It's a confession who Jesus is, and therefore a confession of who we are as we follow him. Is that your confession? Is it yours personally? It should be and can be. This morning, I want to talk about four people out of the context. That's where we're going to go a little bit deeper into, I think, what one of the offers Jesus makes to us here. And we're going to talk about Jesus. You have to talk about Jesus, right? He's right there. So we're going to talk about Jesus. Talk about Thomas. Yeah, he was there too. And then we're going to talk about me. That'll be less exciting because I wasn't there but how this applied and walked through my life. But then we're going to come to the really great part. We're going to talk about you. Talk about you, how you've encountered the healing of Jesus in your life. It's not just, I have been healed physically twice by the Lord. I don't know why. I don't know why me and not other people. Twice he's intervened, intervened in my life and said, no, not yet. Keep going. But there's that inner healing that sometimes is a more difficult journey. So look at, let's look at these four people from the text. Jesus, he was known by his scars here, as I mentioned. He identified himself by his scars. Look at them. They tell a story. He went to the cross. He shouted on that cross, it's finished. All that was needed for our salvation, absolutely finished. And we can accept that. The Apostle Paul wrote years later in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. He was raised on the third day. And he appeared to people. He showed up. He walked right into church and showed up. Resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ go on for about 40 days. Hundreds of people met Jesus during those 40 days as he taught them and commissioned them to the task that was before them. In this appearance, Jesus revealed himself by his scars. And I can't help but when I read this passage, I think that was very deliberate, absolutely deliberate as he did that. His scars were his identity marks. His scars were his identity of why he came to earth, why we just celebrated the incarnation at Christmas, the baby born in Bethlehem. His scars tell that whole story of what God was doing. His scars were evidence that the price for our salvation had been paid, it's complete. You don't do anything more but receive and believe. His scars or the message that God leaves with us. Now, if you noticed in this passage, three times when Jesus met with the disciples, he told them, peace be with you. Live in peace. In a chaotic world controlled by an overreaching Roman government, 
who live in peace. Jesus' peace. Not the peace government can promise or anything else, but the peace Jesus brings to us in our lives as we follow him. The songwriter and poet Michael Card wrote a poem in which he said, Jesus was wounded so I could be healed. He was wounded so I could be healed. I, I think he put that into a song as well some years later. Jesus is the key. Now my question, because my mind just goes crazy <clears throat> sometimes when I'm sitting in my little space, but my question is, why were those scars still evident? Where were the scars on his scalp? You remember in Scripture that the Romans pushed a large thorn crown deep into his skin, stabbing into his skull. And if you've ever had a, a break on your skull, you know it bleeds like crazy. Where were those scars? That would have been identical. Jesus just could have put his head down and said, look, look. I don't think they were there personally. I, I don't know, but that's my personal conclusion. If he'd have dropped the back of his toque there and, and said, look at my back. I don't think there were any scars on his back. But he left the scars in his hand. There was a scar on his side because he had them as his identifying marks to the disciples. And we don't know if every time he opened up every teaching meeting, walking around like this, it doesn't record that he ever did that anywhere else but in this passage. Now the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, I think they saw the scars when geez, they broke bread together and they saw his hands. I think they suddenly realized, oh, this is Jesus. He's alive. But let's look at Thomas for a minute. Have you ever experienced the unfairness of a false label? Um, most of us have. You've just been falsely labeled. And if you have been falsely labeled and that follows you around or still follows you around, welcome to the club. Most of us have been there or have been a part of that at some point. Perhaps along the way, somebody announced to you, you're a failure. You're never going to achieve anything. Somebody announced to you, you're useless. You really aren't going to accomplish anything. Somebody announced to you, I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you this, but you're ugly. You're just not going to make it into the real cool crowd. Or maybe somebody labeled you, you're just not intelligent enough. You're dumb. You're not going to rise up to anything really significant in life. Just get used to it and live with it. Or somebody say, oh, you're, you're way too overweight. Or you're just a loser. Or a hundred other labels. Labels are easy to throw around. But I want to say to you this morning, labels are lies. They're lies. Because that's not how God sees us. doesn't matter. The crowd up that we run into in life. And I think Thomas is a part of that because, as we all know, um, we have labeled him Doubting Thomas. And all the preachers who preached about Doubting Thomas should repent and write Thomas a letter. <laughs> because that isn't fair. Every single one of those apostles doubted, didn't they? Jesus told them, I'm going to raise him the third day. 
how many of them grabbed their lawn chair and ran out to the tomb to watch the greatest event in history? Zero. They didn't believe Jesus resurrected. Didn't even believe it when they were told initially that he resurrected from the dead. Now, Thomas, there's no biblical record of him. But the writers of the day record Thomas, Thomas as having gone to India and taken the gospel to that area of the world. Died there as a martyr for his faith. Now, if that's a doubting individual, bring it. That's a believing individual. He went all the way for Jesus Christ. Never looked back. And so, in those contexts, Thomas became certain by doubting. And I think for many people in life that I've walked along with, that's so true. We don't become certain until we doubt. Press the evidence. And the only thing about doubting, I just don't stay there. Don't set up your little camping trailer and, and live in doubt. Use it as a stepping stone for knowing who Jesus is. He's a resurrected Lord. He is a Savior. He is my Lord. He is my God. And Thomas walked through that. If you've been the victim of false labeling, it is not what God thinks of you. Look to the scars in the hands of Jesus. Do you see them? That's what he thinks of you. That's the sign of his love. He stayed on the cross and endured that death because of his love for you, for me. And he pursues us, comes after us. That's how much he thinks of you. Nobody thinks more of you than Jesus Christ and God the Father. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, we're not servants, we're not followers, we're not just church people, we're sons. We're daughters of Jesus Christ. We've risen to the top. That's what he thinks of us. You are special because God says so. Very special. We receive it this morning because it's his declaration over us. Our true identity is not from the wounds along the way in our soul but from the healing that Jesus brings in his transformational message of the gospel and salvation. Now, <clears throat> let me jump to the third person to tag along here. That's Tim. Because in my life, I had to go through the journey of inner healing. And honestly, I can tell you this morning, if I hadn't taken that journey, I wouldn't be here today would not be here today. Even as a Christian at the time, I would not be here. So let me give you a quick background. I came to Christ in high school. God pursued me because I wasn't interested in pursuing him at all. I enjoyed sinning. It was a good life, I thought, at the time. And I wasn't interested in religion, wasn't interested in God, Jesus. But he came after me. because he loved me. He loved me. He wasn't going to let me stay where I was. 
Some friends in high school, kids I'd known for years who were believers, suddenly decided a new youth ministry kind of cropped up in a rural area, and things started happening, and kids started going, and so somebody gave them the idea, well, let's invite Tim. So they did. Into the shock, I went. And in that setting and going into the church setting, I learned the truth about God. I learned the truth about Jesus Christ. I learned the truth about my sin. I learned the truth about forgiveness. And about seven months into that journey, I bowed my knee before Jesus, said, I'm in. I don't understand much, but I'm in. Because I know the scars were for me. You love me. And so I became a follower of Jesus Christ, much to the shock of my family, most of my friends who weren't Christians, but I've never looked back. I had a wonderful mentor in my life. It was my pastor's wife, Jean. She believed in me and kept announcing great things God had for me, and every time she did, I thought, I gotta stop hanging around her. <laughs> she talked about me being used of God in ministry, that going to Bible school, training for... the. I thought, this lady is really slipping. But she believed, and she saw something that I could not see. And she came alongside me, and she just poured her life into me. Along the way at the church, I picked up a really cute girlfriend, still hanging around with me a lot of years later. It was, it was good. I ended up going to Bible college, just as Jean said I would. And God uh, gave both Lynn and I a call to invest our lives in vocational ministry. So I retired several times, but here I am. I just told somebody the other day, I think I'm a lifer. I just, I just gotta, gotta accept and realize that. Uh, God gave us our wonderful family of our four girls, those of you around the church in those days. Thank you for the input you had in our lives. A faithful, godly church has been a core to who those four young women are today and what they're doing with their lives and with Jesus Christ and how they've poured their lives into uh, their kids, our grandkids, and how that just keeps going and going and going. And now these grandkids are the best part. I thought the grandkids were the best, but now they're getting married and it's even better. Don't tell the grandsons I said that, but, but they're bringing some marvelous young women uh, into, into our lives. And so life is good. Life is good. I was, had been in ministry about three or four years in Abbotsford, British Columbia, and all of a sudden signs of a crisis started to appear in my life. Life was so good. I just told you how good it is, but the crisis started to show up. Do you know what emotional triggers are? No. Nope. <laughs> Jim, boy, he can, he is intimidating. Here's an emotional trigger. Here's an event that happens in your life. Okay, it's right here. And your response is this. You see the difference? The event doesn't match up to the response. So that's a trigger that something deep in our soul has been triggered that hasn't been healed 
and our reaction doesn't match the event. And that's what was happening in my life. Raising four little daughters can be exhausting. (laughs) And so I suddenly found myself with little events and big reactions. And the most scary part of that was that those reactions were what I had vowed in my life never to be, which is to be like my father and react the way he did. My dad fell into alcoholism in his 40s, died in his 50s, and brought violence and abandonment into our home and into our family. And so when I became a Christian, I said, I will never be like him. I won't be a man, a father, husband. I will not be like him. And that was a life goal in my life. But when I saw myself reacting, it was frightening. So I called out to God. Show me what's going on. I do not want to live in that place. And the Lord, when you tell him that, show me what's going on. Show me what you've got for me. The Lord did reveal to me that deep in my soul, I was locked into an an unforgiving spirit towards my dad. Now, I became a Christian, so I knew you honor your parents. You can do that by your will, but it doesn't mean that it penetrates your soul. So I honored my dad, even in his most difficult days. But I called out to God that I didn't want to be there. And when you see something in your life that you don't think should be there, when you're an early Christian, as I was at that point in time, you bury it. You bury it with church. You bury it with Scripture. You bury it with new friends. You bury it with all this wonderful stuff God brings into your life. And you hope it stays buried. And then God comes along and starts poking at it. (laughs) That's not pleasant. Sometimes it's necessary. I thought it was gone over because I had buried it. So God took me on a healing process. It was about a year and a half process. And most of that was my responsibility because I went to a seminar. Leonard and I went to a seminar, a conference. And out of nowhere, the speaker stands up there and says, how many of you here have your life goal not to be like your father. I thought, okay, my wife caught him in the hallway and told him to come after me. But he didn't know me. He didn't know it. It was the Holy Spirit speaking. But that was a, a start for me to take further steps deep into the scriptures. Matthew 18 and many other scriptures talk about Absolute necessity of forgiving because we've been forgiven. Not much wiggle room in those scriptures. So if you don't want to, don't read them if you you don't want to get wiggled. But they really speak directly. But I delayed. And then I resisted. I did not want to be involved in that process. Did not want to face my father and be ridiculed. And finally, God just continued that process, leading me personally to a time just with me and God where I I forgave him. And I thought, okay, God, we're good, right? And he says, almost. 
But in my life, and this is not your journey, but he wanted me to go to my father and speak to him and ask his forgiveness. And I thought that was backwards. So I resisted more. But eventually, through a series of circumstances, um, I found myself at my father's bedside in a hospital being reconciled and being forgiven by him for what I had buried deep in my soul. A few months later, I stood at my father's casket and I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And I'm sure my siblings thought, he's not worth crying for. What are you crying over somebody like that for? But I wasn't crying for my dad. Do you understand that? I was crying for me. I'm free. I am free. I am free. The scars are showing up deep in my soul. I was set free by the Lord. Let me come back to something I said earlier. A scar is proof of healing. Right? Don't leave here without thinking about that. A scar is proof of healing. I told you about my thumb, and I don't remember what, but hey, but the descriptions my mother had, it didn't look too good on the day that it went through the pulley. But it's okay. I can stand out here this morning and hitch a ride. One of you will pick me up, take me home. <clears throat> my anchor thumb works. It's filled with scars, but the sign of healing, it's good. It works. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time to heal. Friends, that time to heal is, is now. In your life. Don't live that way anymore. I don't highly recommend it. I tried it. Not good. That healing define, has defined my life for the last 40, 45 years of life and ministry. And I thank Jesus for it. Moving from inner wounding to divine healing is an invitation Jesus always gives to us. And it's always his invitation for us. But what about you? Let's talk the most important person. Let me just conclude with this. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus asked <clears throat> one of the most interesting penetrating questions I think that's recorded in Scripture. He came up to a man at the pool of Bethsaida, and the pool of Bethsaida, I, I don't understand how it worked, but maybe it was the first original Bampomp Springs or something, but it would bubble, and it was a myth or truth, whichever it was, that if you were the first one into that pool, you got healed. So this man had been there, been crippled for 38 years, but he hadn't been able to get into the pool. And Jesus targeted him. He walked right up to that individual, that man, looked at him and said, do you want to be well? What kind of question is that? I learned that in the first pastoral class I took. You don't ask that, right, Jeremy? Do you want to be well? Most people who are ill want to be well. But I think the question is much more difficult to answer than it seems. Because it comes in our inner soul, our inner woundings, we would rather live with them rather than go through the journey of being healed.
That's why it took me so long. I'll live with it. I'll control it. I'll be okay. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? Well, do you? Well, inner healing, I can tell you some things from my experience in walking with other people. Emotional soul healing, people say, it's too painful. Yes, it's painful. I can assure you of that. It's painful. It's painful. I had a doctor years ago told me, Tim, there are two kinds of pain. There's the pain of your original condition. You've broken a bone or you have a disease or something that's happened, and it's painful. When I had a ruptured appendix, it was painful. And then it felt better after it ruptured. I'm going to be well. It didn't turn out that way. But there's a pain of an original injury or a diagnosis of some kind. And then there's the pain you get when you're healing. And he says, your pain is healing pain. Difficult, but you will be well. Be well. And he was right. Emotional healing can be painful. Emotional healing is embarrassing. Yes, it is. It's hard to go there. Because we have to admit some things about ourselves and about our journey that are not pleasant, not easy. In fact, when I was going through all this with my dad, with all that was happening, how God was working with my life, I was pastoring a church, and I never told a soul in the church about it. You know why? I didn't think they would want a pastor who came from an alcoholic home. How can you trust a guy like that? He might just go off the deep end. And so I didn't tell them anything about the most significant journey in my life. Now, years later, I repented of that, went back as a speaker, and I told them, I'm sorry. You should have been walking through that with me. I'm sorry. But I didn't think I was worthy if I admitted some of that. It's embarrassing. Emotional healing can be costly. Take some time, take some dollars, take some commitment along the way. Yes, that's true. But I'll tell you one thing, and I, I just want you to please believe me. It's worth the journey. Worth the journey. Most of the difficulty we have in our lives today is because we haven't allowed the healing of Jesus to go inside as well as the outside part of sin and reconciliation. So we start where you are today. I was listening to some, uh, I was taking an online course with a retired pastor, actually retired, (laughs) Rick Warren. And he was on a totally different subject. And out of the blue, he says, you know why most of us as believers don't want to take the journey of God healing in the inner part of our lives? And he said, because it's easier to live with what you know than what you do not know. That makes sense? It's easier to live with the way you are trying to control it because you don't know what the journey is going to be if you say, Lord, yes, take me on that journey. But it comes down to a question, can he be trusted? If, if our confession is, you're my Lord, you're my God, can he be trusted to take you on that journey? 
That's the question. Now, I see a picture in this passage that, you know, comes out of the blue. But when I look at this, you remember, twice it mentioned in the passage that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were in an upper room and they had the door locked. So the bad Jewish leaders and Romans didn't bust the door and come in and get them. They locked the door. Can't get me. They locked the door thinking they were safe. But I think there's a spiritual application to that, that in our lives, we take these things that we have experienced in life and we put them in a vault and we put them in our soul and we lock the vault and we hope it never comes open because that would not look pretty. And once in a while, something seeps out and we bury it again, ready to go on. We lock the door so that it cannot take place. Your wounds are really hard to keep under wraps. And they will embitter you or they will mature you or they'll just exhaust you. People have left the faith in my connection with people because they just can't do it anymore. But they weren't willing to let Jesus take them on a healing walk. That's sad. This morning, I want to suggest some, some resources for you to start. It's the new year. Wow, what a perfect time to start on that journey. And the first part is a prayer release. Just release it to God this morning and give him permission because he, you trust him, because he loves you. And connecting with somebody else in that prayer. If you have a friend here this morning, don't leave without saying, hey, I'm going to start the journey. Would you be my a prayer partner with me? Or the prayer team will be at the altar this morning. Come, just say, hey, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I don't know what that means, but would you pray for me right now? They'll do that. That prayer release was absolutely vital for me. Scriptures, speak truth. Get into the scriptures and let God speak that truth. Find companion, find community to walk with you. Who are those you trust? Who are those you want to be a part of that? And then a wonderful book that Joanne Penner Heron told me about and I read, Philip Yancey's book, Where the Light Fell. Have you ever read any of Philip Yancey's book? It's always kind of on the edge. It's always poking at you. But if you read the book about his life, you'll understand why he feels that way. He came home from a terribly abusive Christian home and church background. And it made him suspicious. And you kind of sense that when you're reading his writing. God has used Philip Yancey. But his first time he's told the story, it was hard to read because it brought a lot of memories back. Or the movie uh, about Bart Millar, I Can Only Imagine. You can find that on Netflix or anywhere. As Bart Millar talks about his background, his, the violence in his home, and walking through that and having... Jesus just break through in his life and heal. And he's gone on with incredible ministry in the Christian music world. 
It's an easy thing. It's a great place to start. So this morning, here's what's going to happen as we close the service. Pastor Ken, come with your team and uh, take the stage. We're going to sing a song right now. It's called Scars. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was preaching in one of our rural churches, and the worship team, after the closing song, was this song. I'd never heard it before. They had no idea what I was wrestling with in the sense of the message I was going to bring a few weeks later. But this song was, and I just sat there in awe and worship because it said it all. I'm so thankful for the scars because without them, I wouldn't know your heart, God. That's so true. I'm thankful because without those scars, I wouldn't know how much God loves me. So we're going to sing. The team's going to lead us. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. There's no greater response to the Lord than remembering what he has done for us. Then we're going to sing Jesus Messiah, one of the greatest songs that I so enjoy. The prayer team will be coming. Do you want to be well? Is today just the day to say yes? Father, speak to our hearts. Lead us to trusting you enough to say, you know, I I want to quit fighting the things that wound me and how they creep out of my life and how they hurt other people. I don't want to pass those wounds on to my kids. I don't want to pass those wounds on to my grandkids. I don't want to leak those wounds out in my church family. Today is the day to say yes. Today is the day to answer the question, do you want to be well? Amen and amen. We do and we will. Stand as we worship in song. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.